Welcome to this week's episode of Fortitude and Truth. My name is Andrew, and I'm here with my brother in Christ and brother, Nathan. Or sorry, Nate. I'm sorry, Nathan. I keep, I keep doing that to you. Um, yeah, I don't think you'll ever stop. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just say I'm sorry because I'm not intentionally trying to uh, poke the bear, as it were. But um, so we're very excited to be with you here today. Uh, we'll get started with the focus verse of the day, and then we'll roll right into our um, episode, which is, I believe, episode three now. Uh, traditionally, on the Attributes of Scripture, Part 2. So a continuation from, um, this will be for you guys for two weeks ago, two episodes ago, where we started outlining the uh, Attributes of Scripture and why it's important to understand them and and seek to understand them. Uh, So we'll get it started. So today's focus verse is Isaiah 40, verse 8. The Bible says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. So today, in our segments, we're going to be outlining the necessity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, and lastly, the unity of Scripture. And we'll talk about, I believe we have three Scripture references that kind of point to this idea. It's not going to be exhaustive, nor is it eisegesis. It's more in context what the Word of God is saying. Specifically, in the last segment, you'll notice the Scripture references we picked were, excuse me, revolving around specifically Jesus and him, him pulling from the Old Testament and teaching it in our New Testament in the Gospels um, as either fulfilled in their hearing or uh, likewise, f- further verifying the Word of God and showing its unity. Um, without further ado, I will kick it over to Nate. Actually, before I do that, before I forget, um, if we have any questions at any point, and we'll hit this again, but our email to hit for the show is fortitude and truth 316 at gmail.com. Uh, with that, Nate, I'm going to take it away with segment one being the necessity of scripture. Feel free to, to not just questions, comments, feedback, whatever you find appropriate. Any praise. No, <laughs> sorry. If you have praise, make it be to God, not to me or Andrew. I'd yes, very much appreciate yes. that. You don't know us, know me well enough yet to know I'm kidding. So. Mm-hmm. We'll get to know each other better, I promise. Absolutely. But so the necessity of Scripture. So last episode we talked about how Scripture is authoritative, Scripture is sufficient, Scripture is inspired, Scripture is inerrant. And so those things are the foundation. And I think that these attributes very much are in line with that. I don't know that I would call them secondary. They're sometimes treated as secondary when we think about theological works. But I would say... They're still important to understand when we look at the whole of Scripture, not just how important it is, but how it functions as the Word of God. And so there's a couple scriptures that go along with this, um, but we talk about the necessity of Scripture. Why is Scripture necessary? And and I've heard some people say, well, oh, I can can be saved without reading Scripture. And And that very well might be true. Right, God works how God's going to work, and there's this great debate of somebody who's never read the Bible being saved, and I'm, again, I'm sure that happens. But Scripture is also very clear that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So while they may not be reading Scripture, there's a very good chance they are hearing it. Um, there have been stories recently, I believe, of like places in like Iran or places where persecution is heavy that people are just having dreams and just a special revelation from God directly. And I don't necessarily doubt that. Because I know God, again, how it works and draws however God is going to work. But at the same time, how does that line up with the testimony of Scripture? And and praise God for whatever he does to work people towards him. He is, he is loving and gracious and has extended his hand to everyone. And But the biggest way he's extended his hand is both through his written word and through his living word, which is, John 1, 1 tells us, is the Son of God. And that's how he's extended his hand to humanity. And we as Christians are supposed to take that and present that fact to the people, all the people. And the Great Commission says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to to everyone, to all nations. Make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, I believe Mark says, preach the gospel to every living creature. Um and then I think access is to the very, even to the end, like the end, first in, um, 
was it first in Judah and then in Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Yep. So there is no limit to where we should preach the word. And I'm really thankful too that there's so many translations now that it's available in the 21st century to all these different places as they continue to translate scripture. Absolutely. But scripture is necessary for two reasons, really. I would argue it's necessary for salvation. I would share that argument. Not that scripture itself saves you, right? You are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But scripture leads to that, right? Scripture teaches about that. The central argument of scripture from cover to cover is Christ Jesus. It's that presentation. Uh, I think it was... I think it was Charles Spurgeon, and I maybe I'm butchering this quote here, so if I am, forgive me, um, who said something along the lines of every passage in Scripture points to Jesus, and if it doesn't, I'm sure you can make it do that. Um, it's, a, it's a little out of context, but that's, that, is, that is the essence of what he said, yes. <laughs> and so, again, from cover to cover, when we talk about the necessity of Scripture pointing to Jesus Christ, it, it points to Scripture's necessary for salvation because Scripture points to the only thing that can save you. And that is Christ Jesus. And so there's a couple facts of salvation that are super important that are presented in Scripture. Obviously, the human condition, um, the depraved nature of humans that have fallen away, who are in need of a Savior and can also not save themselves. And then the gift and gracious move of God to present that Savior to us free of charge uh, is something that we, by definition, grace is something that we neither earn nor deserve. And so Scripture is that picture. And the other thing Scripture is necessary for, I would argue, is to live, to continue to live the Christian life, right? We talked about sufficiency on the last episode about the sufficiency that you need, the, that it can give you the entire picture of how you should live your life, Right. So that would, I would say it's sufficient in telling you all that you need to live a holy life. But that's also why it's necessary. You can't know what God's word is concerning your life. You can't know what God desires as a holy God without Scripture. right? He tells us that it's the entire counsel of God. So you can't do it without that. So it's necessary. Uh, a couple passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 to 13. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so Paul here is just talking about, I mean, obviously he quotes the Old Testament a little bit. I, mean, I don't remember the reference where he quotes the Old Testament. Let's see if we can find it without. Isaiah 64, 4, would no eye has seen nor ear heard nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul understands, and Paul does this often, either references directly or indirectly, refers to the Old Testament, and that's more along things of unity and clarity. So we'll get there. But also this idea that God has shown us through the Spirit who inspired Scripture, right? We talked about that. He inspired Scripture through his Spirit, and so his Spirit in the pages of, of Scripture uh, teach spiritual truth. And there's also this idea in this passage too, where the spirit works in the hearts of men to, to reveal things. And I'm a very firm believer and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but it, that the spirit doesn't work counter to scripture. So if your interpretation of scripture is wrong, hopefully the spirit will correct that. Consequently, if you think the spirit is saying something and it doesn't line up with scripture, 
I mean, it's probably not the spirit. I, it's a pretty fair guess because the two are always unified. They're always building on one another and the spirit always working in you to reveal these things. Well and said. I also, I also think that if you're not in taking scripture, if you're not studying scripture, I very much think that I wonder, or I wonder, I guess how much the spirit is working in you because the spirit works through the open pages of scripture. Amen. I think it's Justin Peters who said, you want to hear God speak, open the Bible. Yeah, he, and if you yes. want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's, yeah. Now I wouldn't say that God doesn't speak audibly. I would not discredit that, but it's an interesting take that you really, you desire to hear God speak. You don't just have to pray for the spirit to reveal things to you. Open your Bible, study, and don't do the, Oh, open your Bible, pick a random verse. That's not, not the purpose. I find God at work in, in some of the strangest places in my regular study. Um, actually, tonight, as we're recording this, I was teaching a lesson on Amos. And Amos, the message in Amos is pretty clear about the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, his desire for judgment, but also his mercy and his long suffering. And somehow the, the conversation spiraled a little bit when we talk about the, the view of the day of the Lord, because the Israelites had a, a misconceived notion of the day of the Lord in that time. And... Um, one of the, one of our church members brought up the idea that if we saw the day of the Lord as imminent versus, um, far off, which very often we see today, that maybe we would act differently. And and that wasn't necessarily Amos's point in seeing that because Amos's point was more, you think the day of the Lord is going to be sunshine and rainbows. And because you're not of the people of the Lord, because you're worshiping pagan idols, it's going to be destruction and judgment. Um, but us as Christians, it's sh- the day of the Lord should be in some sense, sunshine and rainbows. We get to spend eternity with God, but at the same time, do we treat the day of the Lord as urgently as we should? Yeah. And he brought that up in, in kind of that discussion, open discussion, um, in the way that spiraled is very helpful, not just to, I'm sure, uh, our fellow parishioners, but to me as well, to just see that perspective of, of the day of the Lord from through God's eyes, really, right? Of viewing the unsafe through God's eyes, of viewing sin through God's eyes. And that's in part imparted through scripture. Like how can we see, see sin, how God sees sin is through scripture and through the spirit. Yeah. No, really quick, if I may add something on that, brother, I think it's in Luke. I believe like it could be John off the top of my head, but Jesus uh, is teaching us of it. it says it comes like the thief in the night. So we're to behave like it could happen at any moment. That should be our standing point. I think that's a, I, I was teaching the youth, but uh, tonight. But I think that was a phenomenal and profound point uh, to highlight. And granted, like you said, Amos wasn't necessarily speaking in those terms, but nonetheless, an interesting perspective. Because mm-hmm. the heart of the matter is, and this, if we will eventually cover some Old Testament hermeneutic, I, should, I feel like at some point uh, on the show. But um, it's uh, important when we look at Old Testament scriptures to really get universal principles across. And I think that's in there a little bit. Yeah. So another um, instance where we see necessity of scripture kind of called out by scripture itself is Romans chapter 10 um, verses 14 to 17. And um, this is kind of what I already alluded to, but now we're going to quote it. Uh, (laughs) It says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Actually, the ESV says Christ, but it's the same thing. Yeah, it was say, uh, same thing. <laughs> Right? So necessity of scripture. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. How can you have faith without knowing the word of God? And I think that's a little bit different than we might be splitting hairs here uh, to the doctrine of scripture, right? I, I would say the doctrine of scripture does not save you. Scripture itself does not save you, but scripture gives you the tools you need to be saved. It is sufficient for you to find salvation. Interesting way to put it. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, and maybe you're, I'm a little off kilter here, but no, 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 and, and I'm not because we were talking actually about this beforehand, and um, this is by no means uh, uh, a degradation. Like I, I find it interesting the distinction that you're drawing, um, 
not in a bad way, just I find it interesting. Um, because I, I would submit that, like you said earlier, um, if, if people are coming to faith in Christ, even if they don't have a physical Bible, it's because they're hearing the word audibly. Amen. Um, no, no. And that's, and I, I just think we also have to be careful not to take it away from scripture. Cause even to your point, like you're mentioning, I've, I've heard this too, of, you know, in like in, in more Islamic nations, uh, people having dreams of Jesus. Um, even when it comes to the topic of dreams, how do, how does one filter a dream through scripture to make sure to see what's going on? Um, it, what, what, if you look at the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he was knocked off his horse. Um, he was told to go to certain spots and people preached to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and he was a- able to have his eyes opened to, to deeper, deeper things. Now, however, I, I appreciate what you're, what you are saying. Cause I think when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to that understanding, doctrines don't save us. Doctrines are teachings. Teachings can be very beneficial, but ultimately it's God. Does that, that, that make, am I yep. belaboring the point you're, too much? No, or? you're, you're right on the money. Um, if I might share an anecdote from a far better stoller, storyteller than I am, uh, my dad introduced me to this um, bit of a sermon from Alistair Begg. And I've listened to a lot of Alistair Begg. I very much appreciate Alistair Begg. I think he's a great teacher. I, agree. Um, I do not recommend a lot of teachers just because um, I think that I reserve that for the most um, qualified. There are some teachers that are good that I I personally do not recommend. I will openly say that, even though they're good, and that's fine. Um, but he is, if anything, he is a great preacher. He's also a great storyteller. He, he is. I, I, share, so, I share in this recommendation. So his way. sermon is all about the centrality of the cross and the centrality of Christ. And so he tells this this uh, this bit at the end of his sermon, and it just screams to this point, I think. And I don't want to butcher the whole thing so just jump on youtube and type in so we should have shared the link why we can just add the link in the description i think we might do that so we'll try and add the link into the description as you're listening to the show but if not just pop on youtube and search the man on the middle cross and what you'll hear is the the actual story and alistair does a much a much better job in a much better scottish accent than telling me the accent (laughs) absolutely but his point being and he actually mentions the doctrine of scripture which is kind of why it made me think of this is so the man on the middle cross what must have he what must he have been thinking when he went to heaven and what must the angels have been thinking right so he gets to heaven and and the angel goes well well why are you here and he goes i don't know and he's like well what do you believe about justification and he says well the, the guy just stares at him blankly and then he said well what what about the doctrine of scripture and he's like what's that and so he says well what what so finally he calls the supervisor angel right and I love the way Alistair says supervisor, but he calls the supervisor angel. He says, well, then let's, let's just jump to, to why are you here? So what reason do you have to be here? And he just looks at him. He says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's it. That screams powerfully to me that it's not about doctrines. It's not about all these other secondary things. And again, doctrines are important. Doctrines can help influence the way we live, but it's the centrality of Christ in us that screams over everything. So that's why I don't want to get too convoluted here and not go too far down rabbit holes. But I think that was an important distinction. That was a good conversation on that for sure. To make. Um, anyway, continuing along. In Second, First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, we also read, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And so, ironically, Scripture is not actually mentioned in here unless you say words of faith. You would call those Scripture. Um, And he says good doctrine, but good doctrine comes from Scripture and a proper interpretation of Scripture. And throw out silly myths. But train yourself for godliness. We we already said that Scripture is sufficient to train us for godliness. Right? So that's necessary to train us for godliness. And so I think, too, 
if we we view scripture as necessary, then we would place a value on scripture as the inspired word of God, as though God himself were audibly speaking to us. And so if we treat it that way, what what place does that have in our lives? Right? Do we study it every day? Do we rely on it every day? Do we quote it every day? Do we try and quote it every day? I I grew up, um, I believe I mentioned JBQ before, and I don't know if I explained it, uh, so we'll call it Junior Bible Quiz. Uh, it's from the Assemblies of God. And so, but in that, there's a lot of scripture memorization. And my siblings can attest to this if they're listening, that we, we memorized a lot of scripture. And at, at that point, at that age, it turned into memorization for the sake of memorization, right? It's a competition. And now I find myself, uh, and at one point I looked down on that when I when I began studying for seminary. I was like, oh, you don't need to memorize scripture. There's there's no value. It's probably just going to become knowledge and puff you up. Oh, and I can I got this memorized. I have that memorized. And that was a very myopic view of, of me to have um, because as I memorize scripture and as I learn, and I'm terrible with scripture addresses, by the way, if you're listening, uh, I have the ones that we use in front of me for the most part. And if I don't give them to you, that means I don't know where it's at. I know it's in scripture, but I don't know where it's at. So those things I'm learning, but I see the value in those things. Because especially when, you, when you're talking to people or you're praying, and I think praying scripture and talking to people and just like quoting scripture, even if you're not saying you're quoting scripture, just declaring the word of God in situations and things, it may not change anything. But it, it sure has an effect on you and on your heart. And I think on and I think God in, in some sense it sometimes honors that. But again, it it's all used to conform you to the likeness of Christ and to glorify him. It is also necessary for that because ultimately it's all for God's glory. Amen. So I think too, I, as we kind of close this section with necessity, um, I think of because it's necessary, it's it's a two-way street, right? It's necessary for us, but God gave it to us, right? He gave us such a great gift in his word. Like, he didn't have to give us this word. He didn't have to give us any kind of special revelation. I mean, the psalmist says the heavens declare his handiwork. And if we had not fallen and weren't so depraved, maybe we would see that as his handiwork, Um in our pre-salvific state. But now that we are saved, we can see that see, and honor that. We love using the big $5 words here. Do you yeah. have any questions? I mean, I'm on all honesty. I just say that because I understand completely what he's talking about. If for some reason we say something that doesn't, please, like doesn't resonate with you, feel free to email us on the show. We will happily clarify. I'm um, sorry, brother. Continue. By the way, pre-salvific state means before you were saved. Sorry. There's your, there's your explanation of that one. That, well, that's why I heard in my head. But, <laughs> but before you were saved... You know, you didn't recognize that the skies declared his handiwork. And after you received the special revelation of his word and, and, you know, made that choice to believe that God is the creator, sustainer of the universe, and that he sent his son to die and save you, then you realize all this other stuff that kind of goes along with that. So this necessity of scripture is twofold. Like, he gave it to us as a gift, but he also gave it to us because we need it. And there's no other way around that. And so if you need it, it's like... It's, I mean, scriptures likened to bread and to water that you're supposed to thirst for it and hunger for it. Uh, Jesus says that in, in multiple gospels, I believe, in his temptations of Satan, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes from the word of God. And I believe he's also quoting Old Testament there too. So he, talk he, about unity of scripture. Yeah, he is. Um, in that one specifically, he's quoting Old Testament. But absolutely necessary. And not only is scripture necessary, but I think Andrew can tell you scripture is is clear, at least in some sense. Um, maybe not perfectly, and we'll get into that. I'll let Andrew yeah, we'll, kind of we'll take this section, but I think Scripture is clear enough about essential things. No, that, that's a perfect way to put it. Actually, a perfect segue. So, Scripture. When we what we mean by the clarity of Scripture, and I'm going to read a brief sentence and kind of break it down. Um, when we understand Scripture's clarity, it, it reminds us of the saving message of God's redemption can be understood by all who care to hear it. Right. So now that doesn't when I say that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be studying scripture and that there's no necessary. There's no need to be in the word like uh, Brother Nate was talking about where we we don't need to do that because, oh, things are just going to be made clear to me. 
Um, no, but, but when it comes to the saving message of the gospel and the handiwork of God, those messages are abundantly clear to anyone who is willing to hear and gen- meaning genuinely listen. Um, that when, when you hear that, those who have ears to hear, right? You hear them in a lot of translations. You know, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, anyone who's genuinely willing to listen, listen. Um, we have a couple examples we'll go through, but when we look at this, we, we, we have a couple, we have one Old Testament, and I'll walk us through two New Testament um, passages. The first is found in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. Uh, but the Bible says, For this commandment, which I am commanding you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it far away. It is not in heaven that you could say, Who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you could say, Who will cross the sea for us and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? On the contrary, the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may follow it. Um, now, in this passage specifically, we're referring to the commandments of God, the law, um, which, was, which is scripture. Uh, uh, but God makes it clear, even to the Israelites, that what I'm at, it's not, it's not a, this is not confusing. What I'm asking you to do, these things aren't confusing. Uh, you know, it's to walk humbly, love mercy, and I'm butchering this. And I'm sorry, love justice, seek mercy, is it? And then walk humbly with your God. I'm like butchering that verse right now. Off the top you're, of my head. you're asking the wrong person. Yeah. I don't have it in front but of anyway, you. that, you know, or to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, right? These things, when you hear that and you genuinely listen, those kinds of things are not hard to understand, right? That, that, that salvific message is not hard to understand. Or we see in like John three sixteen, for example, that's not one of the references, but you know, for God so loved the world that whosoever you know, that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever shall believe upon him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like that kind of a message. Now don't get me wrong, you should study it. I'm not saying that. But what God is saying, that is sufficient. That that part is sufficiently clear that anyone who hears that will understand. Um, and when we talk about clarity as well, especially when it comes to the message of salvation, when we when the word of God goes out, God the Holy Spirit goes out with it. Um, and that's an important point um, that I just like to kind of highlight. It's kind of piggybacking off uh, Nate and my conversation about five, ten minutes ago concerning doctrine, like overemphasizing of human doctrine. Don't get me wrong, it can be very valuable. And it, it is. Like, I'm not saying ignore it. This is not like a pendulum movement that we should just go run away from it. But it's, it's about ultimately the glory of Christ, right? And the glory of God. Um, and that, that's what matters. Because to Alistair's point, he told a very good story about that, and I, I highly recommend. If we can't, for some reason, embed the link, we should be able to. But if we can't, please search it up. I think it's isn't it titled "Man on the Middle Cross." Yep. Yeah, and the way he tells that story is pr- priceless because in Scripture it's it accounted that way, right? Like the thief on the cross is saved, and that he didn't have any training, he had no doctrine, knowledge, none of that, but he expressed genuine faith in Christ, the Word made flesh. Um. So. Amen. But, Amen. Yes, but on that, that on that note, that's to make things perfectly muddy. No, <laughs> it's just an important point to understand. And I think at times, I don't know if this is a Western thing. I think it's just in general, we as humans in our fleshly limits, at times we'll try to limit the Spirit when we're studying and understanding that the, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Um, and a, especially as we're studying and we're gleaning deeper understanding and being conformed deeper to the image of Christ, it's, it's God, the Holy Spirit, that is leading us into all truth, as Jesus said. Right? I'll send you my helper who will guide you into all truth. Um, I think that's an important point to make here. But going back to our point on clarity, we see in Deuteronomy 30, um, that God's making it clear. This message, you're not going to be able to say to Israel, he's saying, you're not going to be able to say you didn't understand it. This is very clear. Um, we see another example in Romans, uh, Romans 4, verses 3 through 8, where, where the Bible says, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a favor, but to what is due. But to the one who work, does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, has faith, or sorry, rather, his faith, is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. 
Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So we see this idea, of, and I, I personally, I mean, I love all of Scripture. I, I appreciate how Paul writes. He writes, I can imagine, he writes very similar to how he probably preached and how he spoke. Um, and just just the way he connects things. And it just is, I mean, it is clear. If you were in the Old Testament, it's clear. In Genesis, I believe it's Genesis 12. It could be 15. But when Abraham originally, or Abram, originally believes God, it is credited to him as righteousness. It says it right there in the Old Testament. Um, and then this is, Ab- uh, this is rather God using Paul to emphasize this to us again. Like this idea that Abraham, why he was righteous, you know, this is obviously Paul speaking a little bit to the Jews, but also to Christians to, to, to not be confused by this idea that you must keep the law in order to be righteous. And that was never a thing. Um, it, what, was, what was credited to Abraham always from the beginning as righteousness was faith, his faith and trust in God. God told him to do something and Abraham trusted him. That's what was credited to him as righteousness. And that, that message is very straightforward and very clear. I'm impressed. Why is that? Because Abraham was called by God in chapter 12, and in, Abraham, in chapter 15 is Paul's reference. Uh, okay. Because he says that God makes a covenant with Abraham about his child shall be as the star, his children shall be as the number of the stars. And there is actually where it specifically says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Praise God. So, yeah. uh, The one thing, and I don't want to make this an Alistair Begg show, but I feel like this is where we're headed apparently tonight, um, that he says, or maybe this morning, whenever you're listening, that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Like some things are abundantly clear. They're clear for a reason. Like there's plenty of, of muddiness in scripture. There's plenty of things that seem a little confusing that I think the spirit will reveal either in time or at the end of all eternity or not the end of all eternity, but at our glorification when, uh, when all the mystery is revealed, but there's a reason that certain things are clear and certain things aren't. And if I can make that aside, that the reason, and this is a Western thing that we just want to know everything. I can't tell you, like I have a hunger to learn. I do. I have a desire. I, I, I deeply share that desire. And, I want to know more, but I don't want to know more. I've learned this, as, and I'm, I've slowed down in my learning, I think, a little bit and taken time to apply my learnings to my life. But I've heard a lot of pastors, um, even personally I've talked to some pastors, who are like, you can understand everything there is to know about Scripture. And I've, I, some of them I was a little young and naive and, and was not in a spot where I felt like I could correct them. And one, I, I blatantly said I, I wholeheartedly disagree. If I were meant, if we as humans were meant to understand some of the profound mysteries that Scripture presents, um, we talk about the arguments of divine sovereignty and human freedom. If we were to meant to understand how that works in its nature, in according to God's will, He would have told us point blank. Or how about the specifics of the Trinity? Right. <laughs> That's another example. He didn't. <laughs> but there's a reason he didn't, because even though some things are clear and necessary. Abraham had faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? Abraham didn't have a million reasons to trust God, right? God hadn't done a million things for him, right? He he told him to leave his land. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. He told him his offspring was going to be as numerous as the stars, and he believed it. In the same way, we have some promises that give us plenty of reasons to trust God. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in our own lives, how does that play itself out, right? Do I trust that God is triune even though... I don't fully understand it. I think the mystery in Scripture should drive us to trust God. The mystery in Scripture should drive us to be reliant on God. But at the same time, what is clear in Scripture can also give us faith that we can trust that mystery. That's a good way to put it. I like that. And then one step further, what I would say is true study ends with application. Like true education ends with you physically, like not physically, but you striving to whatever extent God allows us to, to apply it to ourselves by the working of the spirit. Um, and further on that note, that in a way too, like I, I just want to extrapolate on this because I think it's a phenomenal point. As you're studying more, right? And you don't want to get, oh, I don't want to just study just for the purpose of study or, oh, I can't, under-. like, like, like Nate, you pointed out great. There are, there are mysteries on purpose 
And I, I wholeheartedly agree that I think it's to draw, what's it to do? Draw us closer in relationship with God. Draw us to trust on him more. Well, how do we do, what's a relationship built on? Again, trust, right? It's built on seeking to know the other. And for me, when I, when I see a mystery, for me, it's like, I want to study more. And, I, and let me caveat that. Not for my own human knowledge to puff myself up, but so that I know the one who's making the promise. So that I know my Savior better. Um, and ultimately, and then this kind of ties in well, uh, Kevin DeYoung, uh, if I make sure I get his first name correct. Yeah, it Kevin is. DeYoung. I just wanted to make sure I got it correct. I, I'm like, I knew it was DeYoung, but anyway. Um, on this idea of Scripture's clarity, he adds a little caveat here that, that I, I would like to just quote. Um, and that, and that, but it's, it's this. This does not mean every passage in the Bible is obvious or that we should shun proper training in all the biblical disciplines. But when it comes to the central tenets of Scripture, which is what we were just talking about, we can discern God's word for ourselves, apart from official church interpretation. There is a meaning in the text, and God knows how to communicate it to us. And I think why I read that verbatim from him is I think that succinctly outlines what we were in depth going over. Um, And I just thought that would be a good caveat in there. Um, And again, I, I just reiterate this because as human beings naturally we have that pendulum tendency, right? Where it's like, oh, this thing bad, therefore we're no longer doing that. Just because we're, we're expressing not to study for vain glory doesn't mean that you should not be studying scripture. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be meditating on the word daily. Like as even Christ pointed out, it was one of, one of the examples of his temptations in Matthew 4. And the very first temptation, this is, mind you, after 40 days of not eating. And Jesus, the God-man, that's how I'm gonna refer to him in this earthly ministry right now, he would have been fully feeling 40 days of not eating food. The first temptation Satan hits him with is a physical one of hunger. Saying, why don't you turn this stone into bread? And what Jesus responds with is that Old Testament scripture of, you know, but man is not to live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is important, and we should be meditating on it. If Jesus, in that state, granted he's God, but in that state, was able to stave it off and and stay on the sufficiency and, and the necessity of scripture, tie back in i think that's an important thing to learn from i don't want to take away from jesus as the example because christ is always the example uh, but i think scripture gives others other examples oh, of that we look at paul or we look at the stoning of stephen stephen is literally about to and probably actively being stoned and what is he doing he's quoting scripture yeah and i think that point so he knows he's gonna die he's gonna quote scripture anyway paul stands trial for quoting scripture Paul ends up being martyred for quoting scripture. And this, this idea of first century persecution is so foreign to us, I think, in 21st century America that, like, oh, they made me feel bad. That's persecution. Well, it is a little bit. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to discredit persecution in that sense, like I, being ostracized. But if we can't handle, as Christians, feeling bad because people, we share our faith, and they're like, oh, they made fun of me. On the flip side... What are you going to do when somebody holds a knife to your throat yeah. or, or, or beats you with whatever? Like, are you going to stand through that? I mean, to, to your point, there That's are a rhetorical question. There, I don't, you don't need to answer yeah. that. There, there, there are stories right now um, of missionaries who are like in Turkey and stuff or in Iran who get dragged out of their church and physically assaulted and just beaten in the street. And that happens on the regular that's persecution to the to more a closer level akin to the early church, the Acts church. Um, now, like Nate said, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I wouldn't say that, oh, someone said something bad about you. know. Here's a caveat that's important because, again, because we are in the 21st century America, we've been blessed by, to be in this nation, that we're relatively comfortable. Like, praise God for that. Is it perfect? Of course not because this is a nation under heaven, not in heaven. So it's not going to be perfect, okay? But we have been blessed with that comfort. And another caveat is sometimes it's because you did something wrong and you're not actually being persecuted. You may have said something wrong or you may have stoked a fire, whether it was intentional or not, that caused that as well. That would, by definition, make it not persecution. Persecution is because you stood for Christ, right? Because of your stand lovingly on Scripture that people are... Um, saying bad things about you or disadvantaging you or in some cases beating you. Uh, I just wanted to add that caveat on that. Uh, I, I think I think that's a, an important call out. Um, I think too, the author of Hebrews has some, has some stuff to say 
as far as that's concerned and also about clarity of of scripture yeah, yeah. no you're absolutely right so rolling on so our our last little look here um is in hebrews 10 verses 11 through 18 uh the bible says here every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let's read that one more time. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, this is the covenant which I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws upon their hearts and write them in their mind. Then he then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will no longer remember. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, an offering for sin is no longer required. Just reading that, and obviously that's juxtaposing the perfect priesthood of Jesus Christ with that of the Levitical priesthood, that that modern that at that point that time uh, Jews would have been familiar with in Israel um, I, I love all books of scripture I have been uniquely lately appreciating more and more of the Old Testament and specifically the book of Hebrews and just how Hebrews in the New Testament I know no I know I know and I said specifically the book of Hebrews how it speaks to the Old Testament <laughs> I probably wasn't as clear as I should have been there. Sorry, but. I had to, no, make, I had to no, make fun of you for that. It no, sounded that was, like you said, "Yeah, uh, I appreciate him studying the Old Testament, especially Hebrews." Yeah, like, no, That's... I, no, I, and I didn't, I did not word that as clearly as I should okay. have. But nonetheless, um, what I appreciate is how the the author, God used the author of the Book of Hebrews to speak to and really connect well much of the Old Covenant in the in the man and in, in, in the God Man of Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry. Um, but we see here, this is abundantly clear, right? Like, there's no mistaking, mistaking, mistaking this. Um, and it also ties in, as we'll get into the unity of Scripture, this ties in some Old Testament. <sighs> Brother Nick, can you help me with this? Uh, um, I, I, this one has been bothering me. I was looking for this Old Testament passage. I wanted to say it was in Micah, but I, this one, the, um, the, this covenant which I'll make with them. For those days, I will put my laws upon their hearts and write them on their minds. Is that Micah or is that Malachi? Oh, it's really see, frustrating me because I know it's it's been a little while and it's frustrating me. But anyway, that's sorry. Go ahead. You can keep talking. I'll find it for you. Yeah, thank you, because that's just frustrating me. Um, but we see, and then within that, we see God referencing again the Old Testament, right? And it's abundantly clear. And, and, and this covenant, which I will make, this is the new covenant, by the way. This is um, let me double check something here because I'm pretty sure. By this point, um, the author is about the author of the book of Hebrews is about to go into the new the new covenant, and like really um, highlighting rather beautifully the new covenant. Um, so let's see here. Sorry, he in Hebrews eight is when it outlines the new the necessary the necessity of the new covenant. But that that what was it? You're way off. Oh, what was it? Jeremiah 31, 33. Uh, that's so frustrating. For okay. this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. And, they, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. You know what's really frustrating? Crystal clear. Yeah. Well, Even yeah. though he didn't know where it was, it's in yeah. there and it's crystal no, clear. Well, well, yeah. What's frustrating is now that you say that, I had the same issue. Like I was doing a, a study for this for junior church like a month ago and I had the same problem. Like this is Micah and I spent like an hour and I found it in Jeremiah and now that you jogged my memory, that's really frustrating. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> um, like, like Nate was saying, it is abundantly clear. Like you cannot confuse this. Um, and then as we continue on this idea, right? If we notice necessity of scripture, it talks about the clarity, and it rolls in really well the clarity of Scripture. And then lastly, we look at the unity of Scripture. Um, and it's important that all three of these, again, tie into, really, inspiration is like the bedrock, if you will, in my analogy. But, and, and Nate, would you mind taking us away with the unity of Scripture? I I will take you away with the unity of Scripture, but before we touch on that, I bedrock I would disagree with just a touch. Not, not from the standpoint that they're not all important. But I think... 
we, like I said, I think I've said before, we pigeonhole God by one attribute here and there, right? We, we trying to overlabel one. I think we do the same thing with scripture, right? We say, oh, it's inspired or, oh, it's authoritative. It's, it's all of these things. That's a very good point. And I hope that through this, this conversation and the, uh, the previous episode, we talked about these, these attributes that I, I hope you see how well these all overlap. Like scripture is inspired, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, and all of these things work together. Ultimately, they come from the source, which I guess yeah. maybe that's what you meant by inspiration is the bedrock is because yeah. God is the author. Well, that, that's So because did. God is the author, it is yeah. authoritative, it is sufficient, right? But it, at the same time, he allowed men to write it, which is super, super humbling. No, absolutely. No, it, the last point, I'll, I think that's a phenomenal point, and I wholeheartedly agree with it. I did mean it more in the sense of because we know that it's God-given. But I, I, I do, with that caveat, that's completely correct. I, I agree with that. But Scripture is wholly unified. One, because it's got, at the base of it, the same author, right? God is the author, even though he used men across centuries to write it. Um but in the, at the same time, I think through this show, you've seen that you've already seen the unity of scripture. Uh, pretty much every reference today has had some sort of Old Testament connotation. There is harmony between the old and the new. Yes, there are different covenants. Yes, they're in different time frames. But the message is the same. What is clear is also unified, right? Things that seem divisive are often unclear, and there's mystery there, and we need to sometimes trust and so and so not be divisive. But where it's clear, it is unified. And so the first thing I think that that comes to mind is in in Revelation, right? And Scripture does this when it talks about itself sometimes. He does it in Timothy, but he does it here in Revelation too. In chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, John says, I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And John, in his present context, is talking about the, the letter of Revelation, the revelation that he's just received from God about the end times. Now, if we were to look at the grander scheme of things, and I don't think this is a stretch, and some people might disagree, I don't think it's a stretch to really, the principle here is, and not specifically, I don't. I wouldn't say like, oh, all the plagues in all of the Bible will be added to you if you add anything anywhere to the Bible. But I think in some sense, when we twist the word of God, when we add to the word of God, when we take away with the word of God, it's no longer the word of God. And so we lose this unity that God provides. And, and as we lose the unity of the word of God, it, it's not the word of God. What did, what did the Mormons do? The Mormons used the Bible. So do the Muslims. At least these parts use the Torah. Um, what about the Jehovah's Witness? Do they use the Bible? But how do they use the Bible? I was about to say I would almost argue none of them do. But <laughs> they don't, right? But they 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 don't they don't respect any of these attributes. Right? It's not authoritative. It's not yeah. sufficient. It's also not unified because they supplement all these words with other things. Yeah. If something is unified, it agrees with one another, and it it can stand alone. It doesn't need something else to clarify it. And I would argue too, these things that supposedly clarify it often contradict it. I know we talked about the Apocrypha um, either last week or the week before, and that's there's contradiction in the Apocrypha. So that's why the Apocrypha, although helpful, is not unified with the rest of Scripture. And so really, if we take away from the unity of Scripture, we distort the unity of Scripture, we've basically not made it Scripture anymore. And if it's not scripture, then it's heresy. Border, in in some sense of the word, I would argue. Yeah, I, and I would agree. And I would also just add that that's because you be that should terrify you. Like you've taken and what you're still doing though is you're proclaiming it as the word of God. So you're representing it to people as God's word when it isn't anymore. And um, I, I just can't imagine. Like I fear when I see people doing that unrepentantly, right, and profiting off them like that. That. Like, the amount of judgment that's coming to those, and it's like not out of like, hey, I'm better than you. It's I'm worried for you kind of thing. That's my... Mm -hmm. I Yeah, I agree. And pastors too often, and, and pastors who preach the word of God correctly have often said too, they want to preach God's word. They want as little of themselves in their sermons as possible. Obviously, it's it's unavoidable, right? But as we study to prepare sermons, that's the, the biggest thing is how can I present God's word as God's word and not my own? Yeah. Uh, and not not plagiarized, I, but you, 
it just keeps coming back to the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, just working together to, to paint a picture. And we often find, too, when we talk about unity, things are clarified. I know you spoke on Hebrews, and Hebrews really clarifies, through the lens of Leviticus, the purpose of Christ. And so in Matthew, Christ clarifies the law. And obviously, we are not under the law, but there are some things in the law that are at the heart of God that we need to understand. Mm-hmm. And, and Christ really points it out. Matthew five twenty seven and 28 he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, quoting from the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Those are, those are, those are fighting words. They don't like that, That's right? convicting words. <laughs> they are convicting words. And he's talking to a bunch of priests, and he's talking to the people, the children of Israel, who have for centuries taken the Ten Commandments and then created rabbinical law and created all these other supplemental laws to help them understand. Honor the Sabbath day lost the heart of honor the Sabbath day and became you cannot walk this far on the Sabbath day. You cannot do work on the Sabbath day. You cannot sell anything on the Sabbath day, yada, yada, yada. And they became very legalistic in, in this, in the sense of laws would save them. And at the same, but then they lost the heart, right? And so Christ teaches them and re-clarifies what really is meant by you shall not commit adultery. It's not about committing adultery and having an affair. I mean, it is, but where, where does that come from? That starts with your heart. That starts with you looked at a woman, you lusted after her. So David lusted after Bathsheba long before he slept with her. And so he committed adultery long before he committed adultery. And that's what Christ is saying here. Like he, the act of adultery was preceded by his sinful heart. And again, going down a rabbit hole of, of dealing with sin, but the unity of scripture, it's perfect. It doesn't contradict. You shall not commit adultery does not contradict this. This is just clarified. And so that, that way Scripture bounces back and forth. The, old, the New Testament uses the Old Testament. Obviously, the Old Testament can't use the New Testament because it didn't exist, but the, new, the Old Testament often points oh, to the New Testament. There's a lot of prophecy. Yeah. There's a lot of covenants that God makes that point towards the New Testament. And that's this, like, this whole book. The fact that it's also 66 books written by however many different authors over the time period that it is, the fact that that could ever be unified is a work of God. Because it's one additional proof. <laughs> no, no one else could have ever orchestrated such a. That's why I'm baffled by the people like, oh, these this book is fake. This book is fake. Well, how could you get all these fake books and get them all to line up to say all these different things well, that and, work together? And usually, when people say that, they, may, they usually mean the Bible as a collective, and it's like you realize it's a collection of holy scriptures, right? So written over vast amount of time. So which book are you talking about specifically? <laughs> like, um, and that's usually what blows people's minds from the start. Absolutely. One other instance here, Jesus just quoting the Old Testament. And there's there's so many you can't even, I mean, you could. somebody's probably numbered them. Uh, I would rather not. Uh, but it says here in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled down, and he, I'm going to add this, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he says, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But I just well, am fascinated by Jesus here, not really, and he, he, got, he does a little bit go into, kind of, he kind of teaches a lesson after this, but it would have been enough for him to get up, read Old Testament scripture, and sit down. And he's the Son of God. He is the Word of God. Whatever he says is without error. Whatever commentary he had to offer on that would have been without error. But he stood up there, read that, and sat down. That's That blows my mind. Like Maybe maybe some of our church services should just be that. We'll get up, we'll read scripture, we'll sit down. I don't need your opinions. Just Just read some scripture. I think it's a fascinating idea. It's interesting. Some people might find it boring because everybody wants everybody's opinion. 
But at the same time, let's just maybe round table some, some scripture. Maybe, maybe that'll be a show. I doubt it. I, I don't know anybody would listen. I think it's a phenomenal idea. I'm on board. I think it's great. Maybe we'll start a separate podcast or something. And that's all we're going to do is we're just going to read scripture. Scripture hour. All we do is just read through scripture. I love it. But we're going to read straight. There's none of this picking and choosing stuff. We're going to read straight through scripture. So we, as we kind of wrap up today's show, we're getting, getting a little tight on time. The idea of this unity of scripture that scripture interprets itself, and we might talk about more about that later too, is let scripture interpret scripture. If something stands out as contradictory, test it against the scriptures. It, scripture tells you to do that. Test the spirits, test the scriptures. If one verse stands a lot alone and seems to contradict a bunch of other verses, that one for your understanding of that one verse is probably wrong. Right? I'm not gonna say it is, or you're just gonna have to trust that how those things work together that seem to be contradictory are not. And God's worked them all out. There's a there's a there's a little modicum of trust here, but there's also the idea that we just need to to find unity in scripture. So and I'm I've been labeled as the way I preach is I stay very close to the immediate context because I think that's very important. But the other thing that I've also been labeled as is somebody who interprets scripture with scripture. Like I live by that because especially when it comes to interpreting scripture, anyway, I live by Christ. I want to live by Christ and be guided by his word. But when it comes to like preaching his word, if letting scripture speak for itself, it may not be just the immediate context. It might be what else does scripture have to say on this issue that's related that affirms this context position. So Mark might be saying something, right? Or like as I've been teaching through Amos, Amos might be saying something, but what James says or what David says or what somebody else say might further this position or juxtapose that position and either further that point or, or make it give you a better understanding of that point. And that to me is, is important because obviously going back to the authority and the sufficiency and inspiration of scripture, that's probably its purpose too. Why would I use something else to interpret scripture when I can use scripture? Now other things can help us interpret scripture. I would never discount them. We've already gone over one of them and misreading scripture through Western eyes. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, even though we did it last week, listen to that. There are things that can help, but they're also secondary to scripture. Scripture's authority, Scripture's unity, Scripture's sufficiency, Scripture's clarity. All these things work together as a Scripture. You know, <laughs> that, that sounds like a circular yeah. argument, but oh well. No, I, I don't think it is. Um, and I think on that note, really quick, Dr. MacArthur, Dr. MacArthur has a really good saying on this. He's like, when you're preaching as a pastor, you are not the chef, you are the waiter. My job is to deliver the word. It is not, it is not to add to it, not to make it, it's to deliver it. And I think that's a very succinct and very good quote. Um, and I too share that. Like I love qu- um, quoting scripture, interpreting scripture through scripture. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a phenomenal tool. Again, like Nate, for all the reasons Nate said, I don't have to add to them. Um, <clears throat> but as we wind down this episode, because again, we, we deeply appreciate your time and we pray that this show is a blessing. Um, we were, we're blessed to be able to do it. Today we looked over the necessity, the clarity, and the unity of Scripture. And kind of piggybacking, if you will, off part one of, of this series, where we covered inspiration, inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority. Was that correct? Last one, authority? Is that correct? I know, I know. We, uh, yeah. Just, just to making sure, just sanity checking myself. But it's important to know, and I think they did a great job of doing this earlier in the show as well, highlighting how all of the, they don't stand alone. Like they don't exist in a vacuum. I guess that's the better way to put it. None of these attributes of scripture stand in a vacuum. They are interdependent upon one another. And I think it's important that we highlight that and, and maintain that view that these all exist dependent upon one another. And they are, they not a single one of them exists in a vacuum. Um, so again, today, one last time we looked at the unity, the, uh, necessity, unity, and, or, and clarity. It's not in exact order, but just kind of recapping everything. Um, and our focus verse for the day before we close out is Isaiah 40, verse 8. The Bible says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Now, one last reminder. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, clarifications, please email us at fortitudeintruth316 at gmail.com. Brother Nate, do you mind closing in prayer today? Absolutely. 
Father, we thank you for your word, for your gift of the written word that we are able to access today, the gift of your son, your your living word, right, who was with you at the beginning, who you sent, and he obediently came to suffer and die that we might have eternal life through you. Father, continue to just let this word in your spirit transform our hearts and guide our, our hearts and our minds as we continue to walk our daily lives and live try to do our best to live for you or continue to just pour out your spirit on each and every one of us and i ask this humbly that your will be done in everything that you might receive all glory and honor in your holy and righteous name we pray amen amen thank you for joining again this uh, joining us again this week uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. I think it's going to be a little bit of a surprise, but we'll see. Yeah. And uh, if you want to, there's an off-cycle episode coming too. Uh, we hope to join you Christmas morning for uh, some, we're going to delve into Advent season a little bit and the meaning of Christmas. And I'm sure it's plain and obvious to a lot of Christians, but we think it's super important to just, again, we want to glorify Christ. Yeah. And so even if we're repeating the same things you've heard about Christmas for years and years and years, yeah. I will scream from the mountaintops how important the incarnation of Christ is and in, in the center of Scripture. Amen. No, and I will say, too, on that note, as we close, I'm going through two Christmas devotionals this season, and they have both been a massive blessing, not only myself, but my, my whole family. So We pray that the show was a blessing, and we will see you here again next week.